0: Um, high performance is a different way of looking at it. So it's continual, uh, less less um, extreme periodization and more incremental, consistent improvement. Obviously, a lot more recovery. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford.
1: Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is the one and only Sam Fenton. And uh, Sam, we've known each other for many years now. I think it's been um, oh geez, I can't even think back, probably almost 20 years, close to? Yeah,
0: 2002, We probably 2003, we would yep. have into each other for the first time, yeah.
1: It's about 18 years, and the way that, that we kind of got in, introduced to each other was that my dad, who was my swim coach at the time, he was running some strength and conditioning, some pretty basic stuff, but for that time, it was, yeah, it was quite advanced for country swimming. And then I remember he always tells the story that you came along and you said, I think I can do a better job than what you're doing and uh, that kind of got your foot in the door and since then you've been working not only with the s Swim Club, which, which I grew up with and I still compete for now and then, but um, you've gone on and done a huge range of things. Some is swimming related, some is related to high performance and a whole bunch of other things. So I think uh, it'd be useful for the people on the call, just a, a bit of a quick, I guess, background on some of the things that you've done over the past couple of years in terms of what you've studied, what you, who you've worked with and, and who you've uh, learned from and just the, a bit of a rundown on those things because I think it's uh, it's pretty impressive.
0: Um, look, I guess uh, one, of, one of the key things that um, I've always uh, believed, I guess, about having a career in a regional area in Tralgan is that you can have excellence right where you are. And I think this COVID thing's really proved it that we don't actually need to, you don't need to be in the city, you don't need to be in an institute of sport as such that you can do all of those things locally. And your dad, Brian was um, was probably a big reason for me sticking around interalgun because there was someone, because I certainly wasn't getting that in other places where I was working and through other people around the area, but um, I certainly got that through Brian. So, so Brian's certainly the key figure um, in terms of uh, my learning around working with athletes and working with uh, that whole system, I guess, but, uh, from the, I guess the strength and conditioning and sports science perspective, my big, uh, my big thing is to being to find out, you know, what the best are doing and then bring that home to our home program. So, um, I guess it started in 2004, 2005 in that perspective, I, I did an internship at the Victorian Institute of Sport. Um, during that time, that's when Michael Klim was doing his rehab program uh rehabbing his shoulder and um having his last last crack at getting back in the pool and I got to and I just I just ferociously took notes and diagrams of all of his exercises and and took note of what he did back then. So that was uh and I got to spend that time with uh sitting across from Bernard Savage who was a um who's one of the early versions of a high performance manager uh back in the day. Back in those days. Um high performance managers are all over the place now but back then it was a pretty uh, it was a new Concept, I guess. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, from there, I did uh, yeah, I, I I learned lots of stuff off as many people as I could, um, all over the place. Uh, one of the one of the big turning points in changing changing the program too was um, I went to Homebush. I was doing my strength and conditioning level two up there in Sydney, and uh, I I went to see the um, David David Wilkinson, I think it was, who was a previous head coach. Um, the Australian swim team and um and had a look at the program there and he was coaching the juniors uh or the under 15s or whatever it was and uh there wasn't much going on there and and uh he was sort of on the back end of his career having a coffee sitting in a plastic chair and and uh not really doing a whole lot just um Addressing a few complaints here and there about the cold water and that sort of thing in, in home bush, you know Which is this amazing facility and then up on the deck. I could see the uh, the Australian dive team doing their strength and conditioning warm-up so I um, I went I went up there and again just ferociously took notes and came up with all of these uh, Things that I could take home and apply and and you were you were the recipient of that You would have been doing a lot of those exercises that I learned pull side from the the Australian dive team um, so from there, I guess I just kept learning, just kept um, benchmarking, going and looking at different programs around the place. Uh, and then in 2015, um, more recently, I started my Master of High Performance Sport through the University of Canberra. So that was awesome because I had access to all of the sport scientists um, and uh, everything that was around the Australian Institute of Sport um, and and learning from those guys who were also lecturers at, at the University of Canberra. Um, and that was, that was just a, a real turning point. And that's where I actually did some real research in terms of uh, the underwater dolphin kick. And I learned about, um, I guess, er- everything I could about the, about the underwater dolphin kick in particular and performance in that space. Um, and then more recently, um, <clears throat> through PhD studies, I've been doing some work with uh, Dick Telford and, the, and uh, his son, Rowan Telford, around physical literacy. Uh, And those sort of things. And um, I finished working with those guys. And now I'm doing physical literacy uh, research with local schools in, in my local area. So um, yeah, I guess it's been a long, that's a long answer, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm into now is, is taking that high performance approach and um, building that into a physical literacy approach. So the high performance approach is, is away from the peak performance. So peak performance uh, by definition, has a trough. So if you're going to peak, you've got a trough. Um, high performance is a different way of looking at it. So it's continual, uh, less, less um, extreme um, periodization and more incremental consistent improvement. Obviously, a lot more recovery. That's one of the big things in high performance is you'll see a lot more recovery focus now. Um, and the high performance approach and the physical literacy approach together means that you know before there was a it was a peak it was just a triangle and you'd cut 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 to get to the top of the triangle um and and that's know yeah, and that's your elite athletes is this tiny little less than one percent of the population up there but uh the approach now is is now there's yes there's there's still that peak there but it looks it's off on this angle and then everyone here as they as they fall out of high performance sport so like yourself Brent you're in a national program and as you decide to move on with your career or do other things in, uh, in life, you've, you've, you fill up this other area here, which is lifelong, um, physical activity. So enjoying lifelong physical activity. So it's a different approach, a much more holistic approach, uh, and a much healthier approach and less, um, getting rid of everyone that doesn't meet your standards. Uh, there's always things for them to do and hopefully loving the sport, you know, loving swimming, riding, running, and that sort of thing.
1: I think that's a um, that's a good segue into what we'll talk about here, and this is going to be a three part um, podcast because I think there's there's three really good topics that we'll that we'll chat about, and uh, I think people who sort of see see that will go, yeah, I probably want to listen to all of them, but if it's a really long podcast, they probably you know they may not get the chance. So the three topics that we'll talk about are that sort of ankle flexibility and strength, and I'm really curious to ask you, you know, some questions about it because. I work a lot with adults and triathletes and look at um, you've sort of seen it on the more high performance or elite end with, with that and what makes a difference with that. But I'm curious just to see what we can um, derive from that for people with maybe poor ankle flexibility and um, yeah. And who find themselves going backwards when they're kicking with the board. Yep. The other topic we'll talk about is um, deep core work. So i um, curious as to some exercises with that and um, you, you said it, a lot of people just, just miss it. So I'm curious about that. And then the third one, which we'll talk about um, right now is what you just mentioned there with the physical literacy. And you talked about high performance where it's, it's almost like the kind of Chinese model where you've got all these people, you know, doing the sport, you don't make that level. You're out, you keep you know, going and it's just um, you retain the only, the very best, but now they're moving more towards that physical fitness and health for for life. So with with, with with that in mind what are some of the things that you've you've found and what the what is different between the clubs and i guess the sporting bodies that do that well compared to those that don't and how is that changing
0: okay so from the high performance perspective you're talking about
1: yeah like that that shift from just the like you know the pyramid just where people get cut to yeah. to the other one
0: absolutely so well <laughs> as as we know from a lot of um, ex, ex swimmers, not just from, from our swimming club, but we've, we've seen a lot of swimmers that we've dealt with over the years, um, go to swimming clubs where it's, it's very, it's very cutthroat. Um, and you know, being in a, in a situation where you've got, um, only the best of the best swimmers, um, get to, you know, swim in this lane. And if you're not so good, you swim that lane. Um, and if there's anything else, you get quarantined and sort of put out in the outer lane, and just um, just treated like a number. Um, that's you know, and we've seen we've seen the the downfall of that, and the downfall of that is for some people this is a lifelong um, issues that they'll have from. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say. It's, it's a, abuse is a, is a really strong word, but, but if, if you've been belittled and made to feel small and, and that's happened over and over and over and over to you again, um, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people that have been through that system where they've been cut, cut, cut and, and ostracised that they, you know, their mental health is, is, the, is the victim of that. So, um, yeah, I think, I think this approach that we've got now, which is a much more, um, the high-performance approach is about incremental improvement in all areas. So it's not just it's not just the physicality. It's not just um, treating the body um, and, the, and the athlete as a machine. It's treating them as a whole person and focusing on their wellness, focusing on their load management, making sure that they're not getting overuse injuries, but making sure that they're, they're recovering um, and a lot more focus on wellness and mental health. So um, a lot of uh, training, uh, breath work, meditation, and also uh, a lot of time on the foam roller, a lot of recovery and, you know, as you know, the ice baths and making sure you've got appropriate nutrition and hydration and all of those sort of things. But certainly a move away from um, things like, uh, you know, from the nutrition point of view, diet plans, be calorie counting and all of that sort of stuff. There's been a big move away from that and just um, holistic um, approach and we've got a lot more science out now in nutrition. So we know that, looking after our athletes isn't about giving them the best diet. It's about um, making sure they're eating really healthy and making sure they're eating in a way that serves them as an individual, because everyone is really individual in how they respond to exercise and everyone is really individual in how they respond to food. So, um, so having a, you know, an open approach and a consultative approach with, with athletes is the big difference.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. And that's certainly the approach that I like to, to take with people. And I mean, I work primarily with, with adults and a lot of them have only just got back in the pool after like 20, 25 years out of the water from, yeah. say, school. And that's not necessarily from overtraining and just you know being beat down or anything. But it's, um, you do see it particularly after their kids are a bit older and that sort of thing. Like they get back in the water or they start triathlon and they're just starting to get that physical fitness back. And so it's, um, it's great to, to see that, but particularly for the age groupers, you know, the younger kids and, and going on from there, you look at that approach, and I guess the, the question in the back of my mind there is, does the high, high end of the performance, you know, your elites, swimmers, your professionals, does that suffer as a result of taking this, I'd call it a softer approach in a way, you know, it's not the, the hard line approach, does that suffer as a result of taking this softer approach?
0: Yeah, quite the opposite. So that's that's the whole thing about it. Um, so I've, as as you know, like I've, I've done some benchmarking around the place and including around the world. Um, one of those coaches that I went and spent some time with was a middle distance coach at Stanford University, um, because running is something I've been really interested in in the last couple of years, in particular. Um, certainly, really keen on watching swimming programs and swim strength and conditioning, but I think good running is really, really Uh, Fundamental to enjoying movement and enjoying enjoying your life and having a healthy life, so um, so his uh, his approach, uh, and this is one of and this and he took Stanford from they had a fifty six year drought of of winning middle distance running so so for the first time they got uh, for the I think it was the four hundred yard dash or whatever they call it but they they broke a fifty six year drought with his coach that came along and 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 gave that. approach high performance approach which is small incremental improvements lots of recovery uh, but i found the same thing going through their their swim strength and conditioning and their swim coach program as well as as well as their track stuff was that they're really if you turn up and you're not feeling well generally you don't train so and they weren't too scientific about it they weren't doing heart rate variability or anything like that uh, they were just uh, they they did measure weight so if you came in dehydrated or underweight or anything like that they would um, they would say first have a chat with you and say well what's wrong and and um, what's changed in the last couple of days uh, you know and if exams are on and those sort of things the athlete's under high stress um, understanding that stress builds upon stress so nutritional stress stress environmental stress um, you know workout stress uh, and then on top of that exam stress and and study stress and work stress and social stress. So if those things all compound, we know that we're going to get worse performance, but you're going to train worse as well. And that's not going to improve your performance. So, so a lot more rest um, is, is what's led to these, you know, um, big changes in performance. So our performance um, across the world hasn't gone backwards with a high performance uh, approach. So our athletes are experiencing much higher levels of, um mental health mental awareness um but they're also um they're also a lot happier and performing better going faster and all of those sort of things uh, i had a chat to uh dick telford who who trained robert de castella and those guys back in the days and he's a multi multi you know olympic gold medal medal winning coach with his athletes and um and he's got a 40-year-old that he's been training recently and, um, you know, and getting PBs in her mid-40s. And I said, Dick, what are you doing differently? Um, that's, you know, she's getting all of these PBs at this really late stage in her career. And uh, he just smiled. And he just goes, oh, yeah, a bit more rest. That's, that's it. So um, the approach is really different. And for those you know, hard, hardcore coaches that are go hard or go home, it's, it's really challenging for them to start resting their athletes a little bit more. But the uh, the returns are bigger.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's good that that is a result of uh, a smarter approach. You know, you don't want it to to go backwards, and like it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I think of um, two weeks ago, right? We sold our house and we bought a house, and the stress of like of that period, just like and like we were i could feel it. i was really stressed and so um last week i trained normally and i was pushing pretty hard and i could feel myself getting a bit sick but i knew that i was getting sick and it was the stress of that of the yeah of buying selling the house and then compounded with starting back with from going zero from zero coaching to full time again um all those things added up and then it's just kind of put me out for about a week and so if you can just keep steady and you can rest when it's smart to rest it's um you can just keep continuing on that path instead of just Going down and going back up, and you're just fighting a—it's it's a hard battle. It's an uphill battle if you keep you know keep getting sick and you're not smart about your your rest. So it makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And and if you think about, um, I think the trajectory is the most uh, the easiest way to think about it. So so you know you might you might be training down in a hole, and this is the super compensation um, or you know specific adaptation to impose demands theory and all of that sort of stuff. But so you know you drop them in a hole. They super compensate, drop in a hole again, super compensate. You keep doing that and you get here. But, but if, you, uh, if you do incremental improvements, which a lot of coaches have just done naturally and a lot of athletes have just done naturally, if you do incremental improvements and then it's, it's a lot smoother, the, the improvements aren't as fast, the, the adaptations aren't as extreme but they're more consistent. And, and one of the key things that I think a lot of people miss in periodized in heavily periodized programs and heavy weight training for athletes is that tendons and soft tissue does not regenerate the same way muscles do. So you can get as a strength and conditioning coach, I can get you super strong, super quick, no worries with that, but I can't get your tendons strong. Uh, it's going to take years and years to get your tendons to adapt because they have a much lower blood supply. So and they grow differently bones and, and tendons grow differently. So um, you can't get all of those things to adapt together, but you can make it appear that way through heavy periodized training. So, but we know it doesn't work.
1: So the lesson there is just longer, slower approach to, to building that up.
0: Yeah. The, the body adapts slowly. So you can lose weight really fast. You can lose body fat real fast. You can put on muscle real fast. You can do all of those things, but they're all superficial. Um, your, your tendons your um your neural improvement so the the way that your neurons are firing and wiring um those those things adapt incrementally and slowly so um and and just on that too uh, you know the way your neurons fire and wire if you're training tired and sloppy or stressed that's what you're training your body to do you're training yourself to move like that so um which makes no sense from it from a neural point of view so
1: so with that, uh, if, if a coach came to you and they said, all right, I like this approach, I've, I've been a hard ass in the past, but now, uh, now I want to change it up and I want to take this approach where I'm um, looking after my athletes more and it's a much more long-term approach for them and hopefully a happier approach. What are three or three to five things that you would say to them to, to maybe change in their program
0: and the way they go about things? Yep. So first, first is always warm-ups. So that's where, within you know your first ten to fifteen minutes of, of how you approach training, that's where you can make the biggest bang for your buck. So, um, and that's that's always an ongoing conversation. We just had we just had that conversation in our last coaches meeting, um, because I'm I'm not as involved with all of the you know the warm ups and the strength and conditioning as I used to be, and I've got Trent there um, doing a lot of the sessions now for the strength and conditioning. So, um, so the the warm-ups have started to go in different directions. And you're um, talking prior to getting in the water? Yeah, prior to getting in the water. So we just want to make sure that they're going in the right direction. So within within the um just that first, you know, it doesn't take much. Uh that first 10 to 15 minutes. Um, if you're if you're doing the right activities there, it makes a huge difference. Um and there's some recent research being done um through University of Canberra as well, around, you know, what's the ultimate warm-up for swimming. And it's really, it's, it's basic stuff and, there's, and, and different parts of the warm-up have different effects. But, um, yeah, there's a 12-hour effect of doing a little bit of um, heavy strength um, and, you know, and the, the mobility work and those sort of things um, have a lasting effect throughout the day. If you do um, some full activation, so you activate your whole body as hard as you can and you can do that through skipping as hard as you can for 30 seconds. Um, just, just little things like that make a huge difference on on your performance uh, on the day. But but if you do that, you know, training session in, training session out, the, the effect, um, you know, the trajectory changes and you start improving faster. And just on that too, so we're talking about you want to, you, you want to actually
1: warm up. So talking skipping, talking maybe some activation with like TheraBands and that kind of thing as well. Is that, Yeah, that's that's included. And with the mobility stuff, what sort of mobility stuff are you doing? Because obviously, static stretching, yeah, it's kind of that's not what you're meant to do before before swimming these days. What kind of mobility
0: you're doing pre-training? Yeah, so people like static stretching because it feels good, um, but it feels good because it has an anaesthetic effect. So, (laughs) Um, but an anaesthetic effect, you know, the last thing you would do if you wanted to. Improve your speaking performance is put some anaesthetic in your mouth. It doesn't make sense to do that, right? (laughs) So, so it's important that your mobility work is uh, is dynamic. Uh, It's waking your muscles up, but it's it's waking you up. It's waking up your um, your 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 neurons and and your nervous system as well. So so breath work, um, how you're breathing, can be effective, really or super effective, um, but also. Uh, that's why I like foam rolling as well because because it makes you aware. So that bit that you're rolling that's really tender, you're actually connecting your brain to those muscles. And when you when you're um, yeah rolling on a on a consistent basis, you're you're improving your connection to your skin to your senses, um, which improves your um, your proprioception and your coordination. So um, and how you go from a receptor to a motor unit. Um, and how you control your movement is really, really important. That's, you know, and we call it our business control because that's what it's all about. It's about being, having a feeling of control, but also being able to control your body.
1: It's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I was listening to, this is somewhat related, uh, Mark Matthews, is a big wave surfer. He's retired now, but I was listening to him on a podcast and he was saying that every morning he'll go out and surf and on the way down to the surf for, what do you say, for, it was like 30 seconds, I think, um that he'll close his eyes and he'll just walk down and yeah there's stuff around you know it's not just a clear path but it's that 30 seconds where he's switched off the visual component of um uh, you know he can't see anything and so he's walking down and he's and then you become he becomes really grounded and aware of everything else like you hear the birds you hear the waves you yep. feel the sand on your feet and it just really enhances those other things and it brings him into the moment and that's particularly what you need when you're swimming but I think also f- so for surfing but you also need that for swimming so, um, I did, I went for a run this morning, closed my eyes for probably 40, 50 meters now and then. And it was really interesting. Yeah. I, could, I heard things that I wouldn't necessarily hear. I was much more conscious of the ground under my feet. So, yeah, that sort of stuff, just coming into your senses, is um, very useful. Especially, yeah, I know a lot of the swims I work with are up in their thinking brain a lot. And so, at the clinic, I try and get them to go into their feeling brain a lot more, yeah. uh, especially when they move from drills into the actual swimming. Because if you're overthinking you're swimming, you're so mechanical it's all robotic and there's no fluency to it
0: no um there's you actually cannot process that much information you actually need to go into that zone so when and when you do go into that and you know and, and it's called the zone you're actually going into alpha and theta waves in your brain so uh, which is allowing you to access your entire subconscious and they, and that's why that's why that's why all the best athletes in the world perform the fundamentals over and over and over again, you know, and you, you see all these things on YouTube, you know, Kobe Bryant keeps getting asked why he keeps doing the fundamentals, but you know, from basketball, as you see, you know, Steph Curry and all the other basketballers doing exactly the same thing, prevent doing the fundamentals over and over and over again. Um, it's because you need to, you need those things to be on automatic pilot so that you can worry about what's actually going on in the game. And so you can be reacting to what's going on, but all of the skills are on automatic pilot they're, they're in the rest of your brain. So um, there's a really a uh, couple of really good books on specifically sort of this concept. One is the Rise of Superman. I don't know if you've um, come across that book. It's a really really good book about extreme athletes and extreme human performance um, and how far we've come in that space. And another one is the Talent Code by Dan Coyle, um, in and which is all about the the growth and the wrapping of of myelin around in terms of the building of skill, So it goes through all of the 10,000 hour theories and all of those sort of things, but a um, couple of great books that really break it down for you in getting into the zone. And like you said, you know, getting out of that prefrontal cortex, getting out of that that thinking brain where you think you can control everything that you're aware of. You can't, that's a very little bit of tiny, little bit of brain power um, to access your entire body. Um, you know, and the neurons in your hands are the same as neurons in your brain. There's just a bit more of it in your, in your gray matter. Your entire body is thinking and moving and sensing and creating. Um, and some of the, a lot of that is going to your spine, back out through your um, uh, unit. So you, you have motor units in your spine. So they don't even reach your brain. So, so you, you can't possibly think that you can think your way into more skilled movement. You can't. You, yeah, you have, that's interesting. You have to repeat it. Let your body um, repeat those processes, which again is why we're talking. You know what we're talking about before. Um, if you're training tired, if you're training stressed, um, if you're training at a low level, you're training to move like that. You're you're actually teaching your body to move in a painful way or a tired way, and uh, even when you're feeling great, that's how you're going to move. Unfortunately.
1: Mm. And I and I think if you've got a set, if you've got a set routine, that you stick to. Pre training, uh, like and routines and habits are are so key. I reckon. Like, it makes me think of. Um, so I've had a guy, a uh, coach, Nan Baldwin, on the podcast, and he was um, Mick Fanning's coach. And there were he was there at the the Pipeline Masters, and he had to, I think, make the semi finals at the Pipeline Masters, and to win his second world title. Yeah. And the night before, his brother passed away, um, and so heard about that it was dealing with that and then in the morning he's up and he's he's surfing in the uh i think it was like the quarters and um so what he had to do was go into his ritual which is sitting on the beach closing his eyes picks up some sand rubs his hands together like this and this is the ritual that he trained himself with for the last 12 months and he was able to get into the zone and actually go on and win the world title and clinched in like the last 30 seconds and it was just an, an amazing thing to watch and i didn't know about all that stuff in the background until I heard Nam talk about it, but it's just that, particularly at a high performance or elite level, it's um, being so good at being able to go into that zone in the moments where it really counts.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's something that you practice, um, and you can mm-hmm. practice, um, yeah, like that. You can practice sitting on the beach. You can, but the but the those steps, the, the one step that leads into another leads into another. Those routines are uh, absolutely crucial to that.
1: And so we've talked. Um, so we talked about pre-training. All right, that's um, it's, it's good to have a, a warm-up routine that fires you up, gets you activated, and gets you in the moment and feeling. What would be the some other things that you'd recommend to a coach that uh, is looking to, to go this way?
0: Look at load. So, um, <clears throat> so this is look. This is one of the toughest thing for coaches. I think is to manage the load of their athletes. So unless um, unless you've got a whole physical preparation team and a high performance manager looking after this for you it's it's really difficult um, to manage the levels um, of activity that that someone's doing and manage it properly so so if you've been out of the water for six weeks or out of or out of the gym for that matter so you're out of the water out of the gym whatever your activity is uh, a lot of people come back from that break or that holiday or you know, or they might've just had the flu or something like that, but they come back expecting to um, take, you know, pick up where they left off and it makes from a high performance point of view, it makes no sense whatsoever to do that. You've got to come back at, you know, where scientifically like you can measure it, but you know, maybe somewhere between 60 and 80% of what you were doing before and then Build that back up incrementally. So, so high performance is easy, like it is super easy. But from a human behavior point of view, it's really, really hard because no yeah. one drop their weights down. No one wants to come back and do a shorter ride than than the ride that they were doing, or a shorter run than the run that they were doing. You know, mm. their long run of the week or whatever it might be. So, um, so to encourage people to do that, it's um, it feels deflating or whatever it is, um, but. You you know, I'm sure, you know, from triathletes and and people who do a lot of long distance work is that people gradually over time get better at it and get better at managing themselves, which is part of the reason it's not just physical adaptation. Part of the reason people get better in their late twenties, early thirties is because they start to mature and their ego starts to, they can put their ego aside and train sensibly. Um, Whereas up, you know, as you know, like ego is a lot bigger in in the early twenties, especially Um, And you just want to push yourself and push yourself to the limits and um, going backwards is not an option, but you know, often that might be forced upon you through an injury.
1: I feel like I've, uh, I feel like I've lost some of my edge because look, I've still got, I've certainly still got some ego, but I think it's uh, a lot less than what it was um, particularly when I was 19, 20 and even like late teenage years as well. It's like, it's, it's just reduced a lot from there. Like you just don't care as much about, What other people think and um you don't have as much of you tied up in the results that you you get i find so um or it probably shifts to other things i reckon so yeah it's uh which is a good thing especially when it comes to training smarter and i think i'm i'm definitely doing that i'm training a lot less than what i was but can still get pretty similar results i reckon and yeah that's definitely from i've done the hard work in the early years but it's um it's also from you just you know what what counts and what's going to actually make a difference and, and count to that fitness rather than just overtraining. And I think, like with Brian, with my dad, it like was a. I was in a way kind of, I didn't want to not go to training um, just because I didn't feel like it. Like I'd always go to training. And then if I felt like really crook, I was um, had exams or something, I said, Oh, yeah, do you mind if I just not go? And it would rarely happen. But I think, oh, I hope he says yeah, that I don't need to train. But like whenever I asked, I said, Of course, you know, it doesn't that's fine. But um, back then it was like, it seemed like a really big deal to, to miss training. Um, but I'm glad it he wasn't a coach or a parent. It's like, no, you've got to go like it's going to, it means life or death, whether you go to this training session or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Um, but back to, back to the, you know, what's, what's the key bit of advice I'd give in this area is, is to manage load is follow the 10% rule So, Um, or maybe, maybe I'd call it a 60%, 10%. So if you've been away for more than a month, come back at somewhere between 60 and 80%. Um, don't be scared to do that because you'll adapt a lot quicker. Otherwise you'll be sore and not want to train and have all of these emotional issues as well. Um, and, and you get back into it lightning fast if you come back at a light load. So, and, and you feel a lot better doing that too. So it actually increases your motivation. Um, but the 10% rule is don't do not do more than 10% this week to what you did last week. Because again, back to your tendons and your soft tissue, your soft tissue can't adapt that fast. So don't, don't do more than 10% this week than what you did last week. The only reason you would ever do that is because you're trying to get fit in a hurry. You're trying to get strong in a hurry. Um, and like I said, yes, you can do that. You can lose weight fast. You can get strong fast. Um, but your tendons can't keep up
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense and uh so we've talked about load we've talked about uh warm up before training what other things
0: um wow if um if there was one more thing to say um do strength and conditioning i guess um understand that there's there's more to um an athlete's body than uh you know just the repetitions of that particular sport so as you know, if it was only freestyle, if you only did freestyle, your body would become very imbalanced, which is, and, and a simple approach to that is do freestyle and backstroke. So mix it up with some backstroke to balance your body out a bit. But, um, even then you're still going to get your body twisted, um, because you're just not balancing it out. So you need to balance your body out, um, from your sport. So, uh, I think, and that's one of the misconceptions around strength and conditioning that, um, and especially young strength and conditioning coaches um, are all about strength and power. And, and I certainly was like that too. I'm like, I can get you powerful. I can get you strong. And, you know, and, and, and I remember thinking this, i talking about ego. Um, I, you know, I, and I, I think I said it to Brian, you know, in the uh, early 2000s too, he goes, I said, the only limiting factor is, is their ability to do exactly what I tell them to do.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> I thought. <laughs> You look back at that and go, oh, I can't believe I said that. Oh,
0: <laughs> and, um, but but um, you, need, you need to balance your body out. So you need to, uh, whatever you do repetitively over and over again, your body is going to um, you know, go out of balance because you're doing a lot of it. you know? mm-hmm. and So you need strength and conditioning to balance out the shape of your body and to balance out your joints so that your joints um, don't become you know, one sided, um, strong on one side, weak on the other. And, uh, like a tent, you know, if you put guy ropes up on one side of the tent, but not the other the tents going to fall over at some stage.
1: Awesome. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to, uh, to leave it for that, for that topic. And for this, this episode, so, um, coming away from that, you know, the things that, um, that I'm sort of taking away from that is got to rest, listen to your body stress, whether it's work, whether it's, family whether it's sport whether it's physical activity that all of that stuff compounds and uh yeah and you've got to um you've got to take the rest when it's uh when it's calling as i should have done two weeks ago um and then also yeah um pre-training routine is really important and uh things like therabands and skipping and um and rolling out using a foam roll and that sort of stuff is very important um and then we've uh, sorry it's just cut out what was that
0: and mobility work and mobility work yep
1: And then uh, and load, looking at load as well and um, just making sure that you're increasing in the, the right amounts and not going from zero to 100, which um, I've probably done twice during these two lockdowns, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I sh- I'm i great at receiving advice, not great at uh, actually applying it sometimes. So uh, that's fantastic. Thanks for that, Sam. And we'll be back uh, with another episode where we're going to look at ankle mobility and strength to help with freestyle and butterfly kick and how that relates to um to the elite swimmers. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to the effortless swimming podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.